You don't think your way into a new way of acting. You act your way into a new way of thinking. I'd like to welcome Keith Ferrazzi to the Productivityist podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Keith. I'm looking forward to it. So first, right out of the gate, when I picked up the book, Leading Without Authority, How the New Power of Co-Elevation Can Break Down Silos, Transform Teams, and Reinvent Collaboration, the first thing I thought was the word authority, because it has, to, in my space, in the, in the entrepreneurial space, a lot of people say, oh, if you have authority, it means you know a lot about something. So that was the first thing I'm like, okay, let me take a look at what this means. And as I dug into the book, that's not really what we're talking about here. I want you to share with, with our listeners, what do you mean by leading without authority? Sure. Um, all too often, uh, whether you're an entrepreneurial organization and there's a, um, a strong focus on the, on the dominance of, a, of an entrepreneur or whether you're in a medium or larger organization where traditional hierarchy matters, I find that the two of those philosophies of leadership, where you need to have positional authority, where you are named leader by, by position, I find that gets in the way of meeting the incredible marketplace demands today. The marketplace demands today are that we constantly innovate. We have transformational outcomes constantly. If we don't, we're going to get our, our butts bit. And the second thing is that we've got to be constantly agile, agile and adaptable. And the third thing is, I believe that the way in which one does that is adopting a new operating model, a new social contract within our teams, within our organizations. And I call that co-elevation. It's, it's ignoring the boundaries and the authority and the boxes called organization charts, ignoring it, just ignoring it and focusing on a human person listening to this podcast with a vision or an inkling of a vision of how things could be better. And then your ability as a leader to enlist people to create that vision. And so that to me is leadership without authority. And, and it, and your operating model, is not the traditional operating model of I've got to get the promotion. The traditional operating model will hold you back and will hold the organization back. And it's not fast enough. It's not fast enough. It's not powerful enough. It doesn't include enough people. Your model as a leader, whoever's listening to this, your model as a leader is that of enlistment. It's, it's the ability to co-elevate, to enlist people in a journey that creates extraordinary things. And any of you, any of you can be that leader today. One of the things you brought up in the book is the idea of co-elevation, not just applying to work life as well. That was one of the things I found interesting because I think that when you're asking for people to adopt a new mindset, it's best to have it apply as widely as possible. Can you give an example of how co-elevation can work, not just within side of an organization, but as a way of, of operating in life in general? Well, any Co-elevation should and will become, once you read the book, co-elevation will become your standard for all relationships in your life. It will be clear that any relationship that isn't co-elevating is subpar to what's possible. Now, why do we have 50% divorce rate in North America? It's because we don't have co-elevating partnerships. Why, I mean, I could not lead my two children the same way my father led me. Mm. My father 
um, was a very traditional Italian immigrant family type. Um, I have two foster children that I got at the age of 12 and 16 who had gone through a lot of crap in their lives before they came into our home. And I had no right. I had to earn the right to be their parent. Now, I'm not suggesting that my situation is is akin to others, but I do believe that if you adopt a mindset of co-elevation in all of your core relationships, they're richer, they're easier, they're more abundant, they're, they, they achieve more, the relationships achieve more. And you know, it's not just family. I went straight to family because that was, that was on my mind. But how do you lead the PTA locally? How do you take some, some vision you have for uh, a charity you want to participate in? And how do you bring co-elevation to, uh, to a charity that you're focused on? Um, I'm been, I've been coaching political candidates on how to start to think about co-elevation as a way to build a movement of change around them as leaders. So it's quite, u- it's quite useful in a lot of different ways. Um, and it's needed. N- never before has our society been more schismatic and and dived into pockets of um, of tribalism. But you can leverage that, and you can become the leader of a tribe that didn't even know it was a tribe. I want to uh, broaden the scope a little bit before we dive back into the details of the book, because uh, you know mindset is such a huge huge thing. And I mean, you've written Never Eat Alone. You know, now we're, now we're into Leading Without Authority. It's been quite you know the space between those books. But mindset is one of the things that when I come across people in my own world, in the productivity space, and give them these ways of performing, we're going to talk a little bit about your, the scoring system that you introduced in this in, in Leading Without Authority as well. But why is mindset shifting so flipping hard for people? <laughs> like, why is it such a – it can be a real, real uh, drag, and it, it's it, – I'd like to get your thoughts on that because I talk about this a lot with other guests. Like, and often it's, we need to change your mindset, mindset, mindset. And some people like, it's just a struggle. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be just a little bit crass. Uh, I think sure. the idea of changing, <laughs> I, I think the idea of changing your mindset is bullshit. Um, and what I mean, not that you don't need to change your mindset. Of course you do. You know, you need to move from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset or a growth mindset. I believe in all of that. But I have been researching for 20 years. For Ozzy Greenlight, my company, we transform executive teams. So we go into an executive team, whether it's a small organization or a large organization. We're right now coaching executive teams at General Motors, at Verizon, at Delta Airlines. I mean, Delta Airlines, right? I mean, not sure when this podcast is going to air, but it's going through a lot right now. Um, And the... The work that we do is, is, is yes, in changing mindset, but there's a great phrase. You don't think your way into a new way of acting, which would mean, boy, I'm going to change my mindset, and then I'll be different. I'll behave differently. No, you don't think your way into a new way of acting. You act your way into a new way of thinking. It's the practices. It's the practices that change the mindset not the mindset to change the practices. Of course you could get them, and if, I don't know, if, you, I, I, if you're walking down the street and you get struck blind and you wake up and you think fundamentally differently, yes, your behaviors will be different, but good luck on that. Um, what you can do is you can begin to practice things <clears throat> a little differently. 
And that's what we focus on. So when I work with an executive team and I want to make an executive team co-elevating, that's a, like I said, that's the core of our work, making teams co-elevating. I introduce new practices. So there are eight attributes of a high-performing team. One of them is that a team become more candid with each other. It actually speaks the truth to each other. It won't let each other fail by having been conflict avoidant or passive aggressive, which we see all the time in the workplace. So how do you coach that into action? Well, you open up uh, a new practice. Every meeting, in the middle of the meeting, you stop and you implore the group to this next five minutes, I want people to speak the truth of what's not being said. Now, the way you go about getting that out with people is instead of just offering that in the big room and hearing crickets, you break everybody into small groups of two or three, which is very easy now online if you're, if you're social distancing or even if you're leading any virtual meeting or even if you're in a room of people physically, you just turn to the person next to you, tell everybody to, to partner up and come up with one or two things that the room should hear that it's not hearing. Now, that's an assignment. It's an assignment of candor, right? Mm -hmm. And even though you may not have perfect psychological safety, such that you'll hear everything they're thinking, you'll you'll start practicing hearing more. And then with, with when that's reported back, if you receive that well as an appropriate gift, even if you don't agree with it, you appreciate the candor and the transparency, now you've conditioned your team to do more of it. So that's an example where you you lead with a practice that improves a, a distinct area called candor. And the mindset is, <clears throat> I'm not going to hold back because I own my my partner's success here, right? Mm. That's a different mindset shift. And that's the kind, that's a co-elevating mindset shift. So what I do in the book and what we do in our coaching is we help teams adopt practices that make their teams co-elevating. And there's two places you can do that. You can do it at the team level, like I've talked about. You could also do it with any entrepreneur inside of a business. And I use the word entrepreneur liberally. I mean, just anybody who wants to do something bigger or better inside of a business, doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter what position you are. Anybody could be the tipping point for transforming a company. Now, if you want to dive into that more, we're, I'm happy to, but I did it. I was one of the youngest officers of a Fortune 500 company when I was chief marketing officer of Deloitte in my late 20s because I led without authority. I want to talk a little bit about the rules. And I, I mean, as I got made my way through the book, the first rule, um, you know, when it comes to leading with authority, uh, it, it really struck me because there was there's a story that you tell that talks about basically, you know, kind of it, it seemed counterintuitive, you know, to what people would normally be thinking. And that's right out of the gate. You get into that. Can you talk about the idea of first off, the, the co-elevation continuum comes out of that. You talk about that in that in that chapter in the book in, in, in rule one. But the the idea of working, there's that story. And, and, and I don't want to give too much away. But the idea of of working with someone that you don't necessarily feel that you would normally work with you almost feel like they're your competitor and changing the way that you operate around them can we can we touch on that a little bit i'm not sure which of the stories you're referring to but in chapter one well the introduction talks about how we're in a new world of work today and that those of you who are listening to this podcast if you become aware that we're in a new world of world of work and you start to adopt new work rules you 
will win. You'll be the leader. You right. will have a an advantage, right? So that's number one. But then the first chapter talks about how you have to redefine team. Mm. So you might have been referring to Sandy. I am. Yep. Who, S- Sandy yeah. and Jane. Yep. Yep. So Sandy was the head of HR, and she's trying. She's trying earnestly to adopt a new compensation system for the company as a whole. And Jane is the head of sales ops, who's been told by her head of sales, come up with a compensation system that makes sure we make our quarter. And she's earnestly trying to do it. And she, frankly, doesn't think Sandy gets it. And so she's off on her own. And she can because sales wins. (laughs) (laughs) HR versus sales in many companies, sales wins. Um, And so she's off doing it. And she's Sandy feels that she's being perfectly maniacal and blocking success and making her look bad. And she's taking it personally and she gets twisted in her damn head about Jane. And the pit, the twist was my coaching Sandy in reality and then in the book and my coaching you as listeners how to think about these situations fundamentally differently and act differently. The, the end of the story is that Jane was struggling just as much. So Jane was trying to do her earnest best. She thought that Sandy was going to stop her. In the same regard, Jane was struggling in ways that Sandy could have helped. And the two of them ended up eroding shareholder value because of their their narrowness of what their roles were and that they were working within the silos that they lived in. So, you know, you'll you'll get the story and you'll get the anecdote and you'll get the the, mm. the heroic finish. But that's the point. Now, and I go on then the next chapter, which I love, it's one of my favorite chapters, it um, which basically tries to eliminate everybody's excuse for adopting this. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, you know, and I don't want to get into them, but I come up with a number of what I call the the real lies we tell ourselves, the that that are the excuses that stop us from being successful. And I think in life, the chapter's called It's All on You. Yeah, that's and, that's that's I looked at that moment. I gotta step away for a minute. <laughs> Cause it know, was one of those it was one of those stark like, whoa, wait a minute. It seemed again counter to like it, it was very, very much a a, a a shot across the bow to me too. To, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's a harsh it's a harsh <laughs> chapter. Um but the good news is I have to eat my own dog food on that one. And I, and I reveal in that, in that chapter how I have blamed others for my failure. But in reality, it's me and because there's a consistency there. And you always have to ask yourself, what's my part? And that's only one of the, the outcomes of that chapter. But, you know, we have, we have lots of reasons that we don't engage deeply with people, particularly people who we've considered difficult, like Jane in that last example. And... And that, by the way, applies to your mother, <laughs> not your mother particularly, but um, it applies to our sisters, the people who are struggled with, our neighbor, whatever it is. I mean, we've got to start taking onus of responsibility to be the the North Star of the kind of relationships we want to have. And I get very tactical about how to do that in the subsequent chapters of how do you enlist people. How do you enlist people and earn followership? How do you earn the right to lead? Um, so I've sort of stepped through a couple of the chapters already, but you know I am so proud of this book because it really is a pathway for anybody, including. Listen, I know some. I know some very powerful people in this world who run some of the most powerful companies in the world, literally Fortune ten companies, mm-hmm. who by adopting this mindset, put an extra a boost on their growth strategy for the company as a whole. Because we're not just talking about somebody who's in the middle level of management using this to get ahead, which is 100% available to you. 
But we're talking about a different way to fundamentally expand a company and the way a company thinks. And I have often found that anybody in the company can be that tipping point. I mean, who was Gandhi, right? I mean, right. who was Martin Luther King? These are individuals who enlisted a very similar process of co-elevation and enlistment of a movement. You are all capable of being movement leaders inside of your company. I did it. I did it at Deloitte. Um, we transformed the whole mindset at Deloitte through my small practices and actions. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the conversation, but when we come back, Keith and I are going to talk about how important it was for him to include the proof that this can work for people and lead people in the right direction, how ego can affect this process, and maybe not ego, but the other term that we kind of dive into a little bit that it was an interesting conversation. We'll get to that so much more. But first, I want to talk to you about how you can level up your leadership. And the UCI Division of Continuing Education is just one of the ways that you can do that. Established in 1962, the UCI Division of Continuing Education has been offering education for adult learners in Orange County for over half a century. And they maintain over 30,000 enrollments from students worldwide each year and offer hundreds of exciting courses and programs to local, regional and global constituencies. They offer convenient quality online education and UCI is not new to online education. For years they've been providing students with quality online courses. You can learn on your own time online as well in a variety of courses and certifications such as business, leadership, IT, project management, law, human resources, and over 60 convenient certificates and specialized studies programs. They are designed for the working professionals. Online courses are taught by expert instructors with industry experience and offer flexibility, which is something that we really need, not just in this season, but any season. You can take the lead with your own education with the UCI Division of Continuing Education. Now, there are certificate programs and specialized studies programs available. Let me explain the difference between those two. Certificate programs offer an in-depth body of knowledge to ensure that you gain mastery of a particular topic. Whereas specialized studies programs, they feature shorter, more concentrated curricula for those short on time. Both are distinctive achievements that can help prepare you for career advancement or transition. Now, enrollment is open for the summer quarter right now, and courses begin as early as June 22nd. If you are interested in learning more about these programs, but you've got concerns about the cost, UCI has scholarship options for those that qualify. 
All you need to do right now is visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code TIMECRAFTING to get 15% off of one course. That is ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter that promo code TIMECRAFTING to get that 15% discount off of one course. Now, the discount is for almost all of the certificate programs. The exceptions only include coding boot camps, international programs, teacher credentialing programs, and test prep courses. And this offer is only valid until July 31st, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. So take advantage of this offer that the UCI Division of Continuing Education is giving you today. Visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist, enter that promo code TIMECRAFTING, and get that 15% off of one course today. If you're like me, you're always on the lookout for new apps. And I like being able to look in one place for those sort of things so I can spend less time exploring and more time executing. SetApp allows me to do this. SetApp is a subscription for Mac apps. There's an app for almost any task so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. SetApp packs over 180 high quality apps into one. There's an app for almost any task, as I mentioned. So again, you don't have to spend time looking all over the place to find what you're looking for. Set app will have what you need. It's also a great value at just $9.99 a month. So instead of spending thousands for separate licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee. New apps are also always being added to setup. Updates are free and all the apps are full featured pro versions, which I absolutely love. Setup has a dedicated curation team as well that only selects the highest quality apps. And you don't have to spend time on that app discovery and testing like I was just talking about. Setup makes it easy to get the best tools when you need them. They're already in Setup. Now, the service has grown in terms of numbers of users, software vendors, apps since launch, which was in 2016 when they launched in beta. And they had a full official release in January 2017. So Setup's been around for a while. And in November 2019, Setup for Teams was launched, bringing the Setup software library to teams of all sizes. So all you need to do right now, I highly encourage you to go check out Setup at setapp.com and give Setup a try. It's free for seven days and just let them know that you heard about them here on the Productivity Podcast. So again, free seven-day trial just by going to setapp.com. What are you waiting for? Give Setup a try today. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of Inbox Zero. I think that there's more important things you could be doing with your time, but with Samebox, you can make Inbox Zero happen. In fact, they have Inbox Zero Heroes. I'm gonna click a link in the show notes so you can check out what an Inbox Zero Hero looks like and how you can achieve that heroic status of being an Inbox Zero Hero. Inbox Zero is just really one click away. There's automatic email filtering with Samebox, one click unsubscribe, email reminders. Samebox is the answer to email overload. You can snooze emails, which is a great way to defer or emphasize less urgent emails. I use that with my three mail workflow. That way I can read them when I want, how I want, when I'm in the right mindset. I really encourage you to give SameBox a try. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of what they're what they're putting together. I've been using SameBox for a long time. I know you'll get a lot out of them. SameBox.com slash timecrafting. Head there, get your free trial and a $25 credit. That's all you need to do. Go to samebox.com slash timecrafting. Get that free trial and a $25 credit for one of their plans today. Stop the insanity of email overload and email overwhelm with SameBox. Give it a try today. Now let's get back to my conversation with Keith Ferrazzi here on the Productivity Podcast. 
what I love about the book, and as, as I was going through it, um, is, you know, there's a lot of great stories in there, too. You just talked about that. But one of the tactical parts are really nice. I'm not going to go into this. I mean, again, I mentioned the 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 uh, the um, the co-elevation uh, continuum, which I don't want you to explain too much because I want people to pick up the book, number one. But that's an example of the if you're looking at a at an organization and you know they're like okay what's the ROI what's the bottom how do we how do we measure this right and and that's what i found really really refreshing is it's not just here here are the stories here's why but here's how you can measure it how important is that ability to because again we're talking about putting that framework in place so that there's kind of the proof is in the pudding and how important was that for you to put that throughout the book to say hey look this isn't just you know, pie in the sky idea is like, look, this is how you can see that this works. And this is how you can make sure that it, you know, it goes in the direction that you, that you would like it to go in. Um, look, the, 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 everybody listening to this call has such an amazing potential for themselves. I have always been of the belief that anybody could be anything. Right. And that part of that was because I came from nothing. I came from my, my dad was an unemployed steel worker. Um, my mom had to become a cleaning lady because the steel industry was crashing in Pittsburgh. And nobody that I knew had gone to college, no family member. Um, but but recognizing that you can go from there to today, walking in the, the corridors of the most powerful humans in the planet, um, and some of them are actually dear friends of mine. That's an extraordinary journey, you know, in my 53 years. Um, <clears throat> and I know that it's possible. And the formula that I used and refined over time, I wish I knew, I wish I could read my books when I was younger because I would have made a lot fewer mistakes. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would still make the mistakes. But um, I, that, that journey and that path makes me so excited that anybody listening can have that accelerated success. Um, that, you know, that trans, the, the ability to truly transform, not just you, not just your companies, but the people around you, the, the book extra, interestingly, I started writing the book totally differently. I started writing the book by believing that within every relationship that you have, even ones that are currently acquaintances, like people in the workplace, that inherent in that there was a coaching relationship that was buried in it, meaning inside of your relationship with everybody is your ability to help each other grow. That was the original idea of the book. I wanted to write a book about coaching, but how do you coach your peers? That was the idea. Right. Now, as you know, reading the book, that is deeply embedded in the book. And it's an, it is a, an important part of, of how do you unleash growth and development. Um, and I just find that if we could walk around in a world where the people around us are lifting us up because we have the intention of lifting them up, and we all have the intention of achieving bigger things together than we would have achieved alone. Damn it. I mean, that's like, that's the world I want to live in. Um, and it's not Pollyannish because I have helped, I have helped myself do it. Just a kid from Pittsburgh. I've helped many other people that I've coached to it, but I've also helped some of the most powerful executives and some of the most powerful corporations in the world do it. And it has changed and added you know, it's literally added 20% to their share price. It's allowed companies to go public that weren't going public otherwise. Um, it's really changed the structure. I mean, one company, one of the largest 
um, um, automotive companies in the world says that this mindset was what stopped them from going back into bankruptcy once they were in bankruptcy. And I think you could probably unfurl which company it was. Yeah. Um, and so, gosh, I mean, I'm just, I so appreciate you uh, giving voice to me and the principles of the book. Um, and I appreciate anybody listening this long, but it really is a golden path and it's the time. Right now is the time. Let's let's touch on ego a bit because I think that's something to get in the way as well, especially because a lot of, uh, you know, I'm being general here, but the idea of uh, setting aside ego is, is probably what you, an element of what needs to happen to, to kind of put this into practice. What do you have to say to people who are struggling with that element of when they go through the book, because like, that's something that, you know, it can be, as Ryan Holiday says, it can be the enemy. <clears throat> Whose ego? Theirs or people? The, the, the ego, theirs. Theirs. And, and actually, that's actually a good point. And maybe, you know, uh, again, when you're dealing with looking at the people above you, their egos, because, I mean, you mentioned a story uh, you know, early on in the book about, you know, you uh, when you're working at Starwood and the idea of what it was, it was a combination, I think, of two egos when I when I'm reading that, that kind of uh, caused that to kind of, I wouldn't say fall apart, but the, the relationship to change. So can we can we touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, ego is interesting. I mean, ego stops us from 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 being eaten in society. I mean, it 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 has value. Mm -hmm. But um, I think a better way to ask this, instead of talking about the ego, is talking about the value of humility. And the the most important humility. I mean, there's so many layers to ego and humility. One of the most important layers of humility is the I don't know myself, meaning two people's minds on this problem would be more advantageous than mine alone. That's probably at the core. If you could crack that awakening, which is, yes, a broader, more inclusive set of voices will get us to a better answer. Now, that doesn't mean consensus. I make a big distinction in the book between how do you, how do you get bold inputs into decisions um, that are not all your own? And how do you prevent that from bleeding into consensus management, which is a real killer of being bold and transformational? But um, look, I, I've got an ego. Mm -hmm. um, most, most egos that are harmful are just born from insecurity. And once you have empathy for that, particularly your own, like if I know that my ego is not serving me, but it's born from my own insecurity, then I can go on a path of learning and development and growth to ask, how do I extricate that insecurity so that I can be a better leader, so that I can manifest more things in this world for me, my family, the people that I work with and for. Um, and so, you know, I think the book does a nice job of addressing this and giving all of us a path to stop being so egocentric, meaning stop being as well so insecure and isolated it, it, because we need greatness in this world today. All of us do. And we can have it, but we won't have it if we don't embrace the people around us more powerfully. And I've been studying this subject, as you know, since... You know, you know, since 2000, when I started working on uh, the book Never Eat Alone. Mm -hmm. um, 
So Never Eat Alone talks about building your network more effectively. Then Who's Got Your Back talks about those critical lifeline relationships. And now this is my very first leadership book. And and just like I did with Never Eat Alone, where I turned networking from this transactional business card passing out thing to an authentic relationship mindset in a set of practices, I'm doing it now with leadership. It's time to redefine leadership. What do you say to the person uh, that, you know, they, maybe they're introverted or maybe they just feel like, hey, you know, what? I, I work better on my own. I work better alone. And, and right now in the season that we're in, I mean, there is that separation for a lot of people. You know, uh, you know, the idea that people have been thrust into working from home. Uh, organizations are thrust into doing that as opposed to what they would nor- how they would normally operate. What do you say to the person that, that, that counters with the idea that, nah, nah, I work better on my own? You're bullshit. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, go, go read chapter two. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Look, you, you're just, you're mediocre and you don't even know it and it's sad. And I want you to awaken to the realization that yes, you might work more comfortably alone or more easily alone, <clears throat> but your outcomes will be mediocre. You deserve better. Finally, as we get close to wrapping up here, I want to talk about the idea of patience because none of this stuff happens overnight, I think. I mean, a lot of people, when they try to, when they read a book or especially a book that, you know, has the idea of transformation in mind. And, and you know, as I went through the book, there's a lot, I mean, at the end of the book, one of the, you know, your highest purpose in writing this book, I'll quote you, is to help you incite a movement that will measurably enhance your life and the lives of those around you. And then there's more to it than that. But that's that's a that's bold, and that there's some patience involved with that. What do you say to the person who is all about the now? now let's let's jump in, do this now, 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 without the <clears throat> the consideration that patience is a principle that you need to kind of. I, I'm not that. I'm not, not that patient. You're not that patient. <laughs> um, I. But you got to start. Right. And what I have learned is if you if you don't start in a place where you can get something done and to be successful and show outcomes for it, you won't go to the next step. So I don't require and I this is true for all my books and all of my work and all my coaching. I, I don't require that people um I don't require that people um do it all. I want to be very forgiving and compassionate. You know, I've taken all of this and I, I put it into a course that I that I sell. I've never sold a course before. I always sell, you know, I go from books to coaching teams, right? But uh, I decided I wanted to put more, more tools in people's hands. So I created a course which on this topic that people can find at uh, farazilearning.com frozylearning.com and uh, when i was building the course i wanted to put so much into it and i did but i also always have to be careful because i don't want to overwhelm people i want to give them enough that they start and once they start and get successful they'll want more um it's an interesting balance not to put the smorgasbord in front of people and intimidate them so let's let's leave them with what's the one simple thing they're going to pick up the book they're going to read it what's one action that someone listening can do that they can take today that will help them to start leading without authority well <clears throat> identify something you think you could do better or different at the at your company 
and identify one or two people who you think could add value to that discussion and add value to um, to the possibility of that thing happening. And it doesn't have to be specific. It can be generalized. You know, we really need our supply chain to be re-engineered. We need better project management tools in the company. We need to start thinking about how to be more agile and adopting agile processes. I mean, I don't care what they are, any broad characteristic of thing. Pick a couple of people and ask that question and go to lunch and and have, say, how could we get the company there? What could we do? And now, in the meantime, if you read the book, you'll have a lot more tools <laughs> than that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think it's just start somewhere with a vision and start to enlist your team. Keith, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for taking the time today. The book is Leading Without Authority. Where can people pick up the book and where can they keep up with, with what you're doing? Yeah, you know, I, I, you can pick up the book anywhere. Um, it's, I've been very blessed in having had a bunch of six, great success-selling books. So lots of publishers and, I mean, lots of bookstores and Amazon, of course, you know, carry it. But um, go to FeraziLearning.com, FeraziLearning.com, and you could start to engage with us more deeply. Um, we do tips of the week and try to give you a lot of resources. We also, just as an aside, we, we started a resource center recently um, called virtualteamswin.com. And it helps people get free materials on how they can build their team effectiveness better. Um, so, you know, and using these co-elevating principles in your teams. So that might be a nice place for you to go and get some information as well. But I look forward to seeing you all on the journey. And thanks for exposing this this, uh, great group of listeners to me. Thank you.